Today is June 3rd, 2019. You're now listening to the Sports Counterpoints podcast. The force you're hearing now is GB, is what I go by. Got my brothers, cousins, family on the other lines, as always. It's Brian and Coop calling in from Southern Cal and from South Central Hayward. What's going on, guys? What's going on? What's up? Welcome back. Welcome back. Brian's back uh, from, I almost said Manchester. It's Rochester, right? <laughs> Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out. That's two uh, shout outs for Rochester, Minnesota. I want to see our streams go up crazy out there. We're showing y'all mad love. Uh, so Sports Counterpoints podcast. Today's episode is pretty much um, it's a mainly kind of an NBA final show. But we're also going to speak a little bit about football with a couple interesting topics to us that came up. We'll start with the NBA finals. Toronto and Golden State going at it. Games one and two are in the books. Series tied. Uh, should Kawhi stay or leave at the end of this year? Get some speculation on that. We'll talk about the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, his idea to lower the preseason, the amount of games, and also a potential, um, I guess it's kind of like a, a potential misnomer or issue with the rules with the NFL and the idea of making Hail Marys eligible for replay on pass interference calls. So we'll start first with the NBA Finals Um Games one and two, kind of recap. Let us know what you guys are thinking. Um, whoever wants to start can. No coin toss this week. Go ahead, B. Go for You're it. Good. I'll go. All right, I'll do it. Go ahead. All right. Um, let's see. Well, um, game one, uh, pretty much. I actually had a small wager on that one, but uh, went how I thought it would. Um, Toronto. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Golden State was on that long layoff. I, I said the last podcast, teams had that long layoff. They usually lost game one. This was no exception. Um, the, the Warriors transition defense was pretty much terrible and they never got in rhythm as I, as I thought being off so long, uh, Toronto won that game. I did expect Golden State to come back, uh, to win game two, but not in the fashion that they wanted. Uh, in my opinion, Golden State won that game kind of impressively. Um, of course we all know Durant didn't play because of the calf injury, but Clay Thompson didn't even finish the game due to a hamstring, had a boogie cousin sighting. He played, played pretty well yesterday though he doesn't have any, uh, you know, his lateral movement definitely is, is not there. Uh, Curry was, you know, pretty much sick and suffering from dehydration, probably because of the Canadian air. Uh, Draymond had a leg injury. Um, we all know Iggy was hobbled going into this game. Uh, Looney, who I, I particularly don't like, uh, but he had a chest issue. And the Warriors didn't score for five minutes during the game. And um, as we all know, as watching, you know, as NBA fans, there's always a game or two in the finals when your bench wins you the game. And game two was uh, the game that the Warriors bench actually won. Um, all 13 players on the Warriors played in game two. And I saw Andrew Bogan on a milk carton and found him yesterday in the <laughs> game contributing against Toronto. Um, but also, in my opinion, Toronto kind of blew this game. Uh, they couldn't make shots when they got stops. They got stops against the Warriors, but just couldn't you know, make, make shots. And the Warriors went on an 18-0 run in that third quarter, which well, technically, it was 20 nothing if you count the last two points they scored in the second quarter. But um, Toronto had their chances to win this game, and um, the Warriors sort of hung around and took it. That was a really big, big win for the Warriors, especially the way their um, their roster is being uh, riddled with injury. So congratulations to them. Big victory. Hey. Yeah, you know, I both kind of predicted the the layoff impacting the Golden State Warriors a little bit. Um, it, they obviously they didn't have a rhythm. They're out of sync. You know, it was one of the first times that they've had to 
start the the NBA Finals on the road. This was this is one that if you were going to see a game that uh, that they were going to lose, this was it. You know, they never looked settled. They never looked like they they um, were playing together. You know, they were running an offense, but people were kind of out of position and out of place. People weren't making shots. Uh, and that happens. So, you know, that one wasn't all that hard to see. Um, you know, we both saw that it happened pretty much as we thought it would. Um, and then we both made the call that they would win, uh, the second game. At least I, I know we both think that, I believe you thought that they won't lose another one throughout, throughout the rest of the series. That was the only game that they might lose. I said that there, there's another one that they might lose, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but anyways, uh, they came back and did exactly what we thought they were going to do. They executed a lot better. They played through a lot of adversity. You already mentioned some of it. Kevin Looney actually has a broken collarbone, is out for the rest of the series. That's a pretty big loss. I know that you're not a big fan of him, but he has been instrumental throughout the, the playoffs since KD went down, um, playing bigger minutes, playing uh, in positions. You know, Steve Kerr has actually uh, given him a lot of respect. I mean, obviously, Iguodala stepped up before he got hurt, so he's got an injury. Um, and, uh, you know, now obviously Clay Thompson is injured and, and they had some problems with that down the stretch. They almost gave it up. So, you know, one thing that I noticed was Steph Curry called the defense that was being played on them janky, but it is astounding to me that a professional team that has won multiple championships could not defeat a box and one box and ones are super easy to fix. All you need to do is take the guy who is has the one guy on him and start using him for screens and you just get the ball to other guys and have them go to the basket because you're not going to be able to do the, do the, um, have two guys up on the guy on the box in one and defend the other four players. Doesn't work easy to do. I know how to do it coach. My kids had to do it when, when, when I was coaching basketball, did it when I was playing basketball, it was almost embarrassing how when the box in one came, all the players went to the outside and got ready to shoot threes. And they almost gave up that game, right? So, you know, Iguodala hits a great shot. Um, they left him open on a, on a play in which, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Steph gives the ball up and then cuts back to the hole, right? Taking the two players with him, opening up the, the guy open on the side. Now, traditionally, if you're going to run that over and over, Iguodala should have gone to the rim, but I like the idea that he took the open shot. You've got to take an open shot. I don't care what you're, 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 if you're one for 14 in the, in the first two games from the three-point line. You, know, you should not be in a basketball game with a jersey on unless you, can make, you are willing to take an open jumper with the clock running down and, and, and you're by yourself. So Iguodala, in my opinion, did the right thing. It all worked out, but it's not janky if you all can't defeat it. I mean, they, you know, you guys got it right for one play. Golden State got it right for one play. But rest assured, if Clay Thompson doesn't have the kind of movement and can't keep running around the same way uh, Steph does, and they have to, you know, make other things happen because those guys are sitting on the outside, one with the box and one, and one because he's injured, they are going to have to figure out how to do that because that janky defense is going to shut down the offense of the Golden State Warriors if they don't figure out a way around it. And it's really simple. You know, Iguodala or Sean Livingston um, needs to make a move to the basket drive. That's going to make the, the other four collapse. Two are going to be up. That's going to leave one or two guys open. It's not that hard to do. It works almost every single time. And typically, if you get a couple dunks, alley-oops, layups, people will jump out of that defense. But uh, it was, it was you know, put a little more pressure than they were expecting. Maybe it's been... 
I don't know, 20 years since they saw it. Cause I, I, I don't think I've actually seen a box and one played against a decent college team or a pro team. Uh, ever. Uh, I've, I've seen it one time. Um, actually, is that janky? Is that with a J a or J E? Uh, I think he said janky J a, <laughs> uh, he, he might've meant J E, but you know, well, anyways, I, let me just finish real quick. It, it, yeah. just, you know, hats off to them for, for winning a game. They needed to win. Uh, they, they showed the, the championship moxie even down the stretch with uh, the, 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 the stretch when they were kind of thrown off guard a little bit. I, I think we're going to talk about in a, in a moment or two, what we think is going to happen next. So I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Jason, if, mm-hmm. if for a couple comments. No problem. Um, well, we should, we can move on to, uh, to Kawhi if you want. I'm pretty much done talking about this. Series. Well, what like, about, a, what about game three, uh, and, oh, okay. and three and four? Yeah. What, what, what do you think is going to happen there? Okay. So I'll give you that. Okay, well, just to go back, the time I saw the boxing one was when uh, Curry was at Davis, and he played against a lesser-known school, and they played a boxing one against him, but that school ended up losing by about 25 points, so that boxing <laughs> one didn't work. But, yeah. um, okay, so going back, uh, the game three. So to me, this all depends on the health of Clay Thompson, because if yep. Clay Thompson does not play, I don't see Golden State winning with Durant and, and Clay out. I think that's just too much. I don't care if it's at home. I just think Toronto will get game three if Clay doesn't play. If Clay does play, um, I guess it just depends on how healthy is he. Like you said, if he's able to run around and do what he normally does, then they'll win the I have them winning the game. If he's not, uh, I give Toronto a legitimate shot uh to win game three. So basically it all depends on how that MRI comes out with Clay and if he plays or not. And then game four, this series pretty much has all come down to to the Warriors' injuries. If the Warriors were fully health fully healthy, I would have no problem easily taking the Warriors over Toronto in both games uh, in Oracle in Oakland. But, um, you know, with, you know, all these injuries that you mentioned that I mentioned, I mean, I just don't know. It's just up in the air. I, I'm not sure. How about you? So, yeah, I mean, obviously I think that you know, Clay Thompson is a huge part of it and, you know, his, it's not just whether or not he can play because he is a motion guy. He runs around, right? He doesn't dribble the ball. That's what he's known for. He gets the ball, he shoots the ball, but he does it after a ton of motion. Not able to do that um, and and create that confusion, then even being in the game is basically a spot-up shooter, they're going to have troubles. But I'm going to take them at home uh, either way. I just give a lot of credit to the, what the Warriors are able to do. They're able to figure things out. Uh, Kerr is an outstanding coach, and I think you give him three days, you know, he's working on a couple game plans, one of which is with Clay, one is without Clay. I, I would, I would, I, instead of betting on who would win the game, I would rather make a bet on whether Clay will play. Clay will play. I don't know whether or not he'll be great or whatever, but the guy has just always been a trooper. He rarely misses games. He plays injured all the time. He played the last uh, last year's playoffs with a high ankle sprain that usually takes people out for four to six weeks. He came back the next game. Um, you know, so he's proven his toughness. Um, and, you know, I would imagine that a strain, because uh, the MRI showed that he just had a strain, uh, is not going to keep him out. That said, they, they list him as questionable. And that's just, you know, tactics. Um, so I'll take the Warriors, uh, and, 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 and say that I'll go with them, you know, no matter what the circumstances are, I just, I just think that this is a game. Now, my caveat is if KD plays, then I don't think they'll win. And I'm not saying that as a diss on KD. 
there's been a lot of talk about them trying to push him to come back for this game, not because they think he's going to come and save them this game, but because he's going to need a game to kind of get his his feet underneath him before he can be uh, a real contributor. He's not ready. So he was going to come back and play that that kind of the game that you could give away in game four so he could be a factor in game five. But instead, they might talk about having him do that. If that's what happens and he tries to play Wednesday, they're going to lose this game. One, because he's not going to be 100%. Two, because they're going to be trying to figure out the offense and they can't game plan for what he's going to do without Clay, without the movement. Uh, it's too many factors. It's not the right time. So I hope they don't force him back because, and I, like I said, that's not any type of a knock on Kevin Durant. He was the best player in the playoffs until he got hurt. It's just a matter of too many things to try, too many moving pieces to try and make up for it in two days on and for Wednesday's game. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Katie's going to play the entire series, actually. But if he does, I think that first game he plays, they're going to lose. It's just it's just too much and a little bit too late to try to experiment during the NBA final. So I uh, I agree with that. Nice. OK, um, so, I mean, we're still talking the finals. We're talking about at this point. What do you guys think Kawhi's going to do? Should he stay? Should he leave? Uh, Brian, go ahead. B, go ahead. You take this one. All right. So I uh, was reading the uh whatever you want to call it river wires and all that kind of stuff so apparently clay this week recently uh closed on a new uh house in in the toronto area uh so that's making making its rounds right now i there's you know so it's a nice house is, is the understanding so you know that leads me to believe that uh it's there's always a possibility that uh he's thinking about staying um, I don't think he's going to stay. I've maintained for quite some time that I think that he's going to leave. I feel like the this playoffs has only proven that he needs to leave. And that's not because Toronto hasn't tried their hardest to recruit him and shown him love. It's because I think these playoffs has shown him that he needs a team around him to win the championship. Now, look, they could get lucky. All these injuries to Golden State. There's a puncher's chance, right? We just saw Ruiz take out Joshua. There's a pun- always a puncher's chance that Toronto could win win the championship this year. That is the only situation in which I could see um, Kawhi staying in, in in Toronto. Otherwise, I think he's gone. <clears throat> I've said it before. I think he's he's more likely to end up uh, with the Clippers than anywhere else. Um, but I think they have the Lakers now third place as a uh, the odds favorite betting odds favorite for landing them it's uh toronto uh clippers one toronto two um lakers three the fact that they're even in the picture is amazing to me and and uh the lakers in the picture is even amazing to me but ultimately i think he leaves i think it's the clippers i think he wants to be in la um and unfortunately i i if i were a free agent and trying to choose between a team that took the Warriors to six with literally no stars. Um, Jerry West, a great owner and bomber, a new stadium coming, uh, and, uh, and, a, and all the money he could possibly want. Uh, that'd be pretty enticing. Good points. Cool. Okay. Um, I see. Well, there, there are people who would build their team around Kawhi. I mean, personally, I wouldn't. I think he's a high, very high end number two, not number one. But there's something I noticed with him that people just don't talk about. And he currently has knee tendonitis. 
But the thing about it that I've noticed, he's fragile. Um, the most games he's played in the season is 74, and he's only played in more than 66 games in the season twice in his eight-year career. Last year, he only played nine games, and this year he set out 22 games, and he's still hurting and breaking down. Um, I said during in our podcast during the Milwaukee series that he's getting tired and worn down. I just tell by looking at him. Um, his field goal percentage in every series has proven that to be true. Against the Magic in the first round, he shot 55%. Gets the 76 in the second round, he shot 53%. During the Bucks series, where I saw that he was kind of wearing down, he shot 44%. Now against the Warriors, he's shooting 38%. Um, he was 5 for 14 in game one. Uh, he had 34 points in game two, but they really weren't impactful points. And he's not a playmaker, so he had his usual three assists. But his plus minus was also minus 14. So to me, I just think he's injury prone. So therefore, he should really consider staying in Toronto. Now, I know that the Canadian taxes are high, and he, but he can make the most money there. And from what Chris Broussard said uh, earlier today, he gave up $30 million by leaving San Antonio. Now, the pros are the East is weak, and he can basically live for free with that Kawhi and Dime program they got going on in Toronto. And he won't <laughs> be expected to win a title every year. You know, I mean, Toronto would just be happy with deep playoff runs. But the bad part about staying in Toronto was that he would have to get used to getting double and triple team in the playoffs, which is what's happening. That roster is old, and you're not going to win a title with Kyle Lowry and Marc Gasol getting major minutes. And as we all know, it's not a major free agent destination. Um, I hear a lot of talk about the Clippers. I understand, you know, the whole West Bomber thing and being in L.A. Uh, but it's the Clippers are pretty much the same team as Toronto. It's just a bunch of role players. The, the difference is it's L.A., and they'll have money for a second superstar. I'm not saying that they'll get one, but they have the money this summer as opposed to Toronto, who have money next summer when Lowry and Gasol's contract come off their books. So if I'm if I'm him, I'm pulling a Paul George. Um, I believe Paul George, this is just my personal opinion, I believe he signed in Oklahoma City for that money because he has a chance to make $290 million in seven years if he opts out after year three and resigns again. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with it. He didn't want to play with LeBron. I think any NBA player with the IQ higher than salad dressing is going to choose to play with LeBron over Russell Westbrook any day. Okay, but I just think that money is just too much to pass up. That's why Paul, that's in my opinion, that's why Paul George signed with Oklahoma City. I think Toronto will be the best spot for Kawhi. Plus, he doesn't like to talk, and he can hide, and he can make the most money there. With the Clippers, I don't see them winning a title. I'm not sure if a second superstar is going to come. I know I, we hear all these rumors about all these people are interested in the Clippers. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, so, in my opinion, I think he should stay in Toronto. And uh, I think he will. I got I, I liked gotta, it. I was listening to this whole thing, and my you, the, the, the expressions I have in my face. It's too bad we don't have this on video. Where, where I, I was of amazement and flabbergasted. So, I don't understand. So, first you go through this this whole thing where you explain how he's breaking down. Um, you talk about his field goal percentage. That happens with most superstars as they go throughout the playoffs. It has less to do with the breaking down and more to do with playing better teams and better defenses that are geared towards stopping superstars especially when they have nobody else around them but either way if you believe that he breaks down and that that means and he's not going to be able to play all of those games then it means that he should be going someplace where he has better role players yes the players that are on toronto are role players and the players that are on the Clippers are mostly role players. But those role players on the Clippers took the same team that was healthy and fresh to six games that would mop the floor if they took Kawhi off the court with Toronto. 
right? You could you could sit Steph, Clay, and KD, leave Draymond and the rest of the other guys out there, and they would be able to beat the Toronto uh, Toronto team without Kawhi. So if you're basing it off of him breaking down and needing more support, he can go to the Clippers immediately, right? Just using the Clippers as an example, immediately and have all of that built around him and sign another uh, top free agent if they can get him. Even if they can't get him, he still improved the players that are around him significantly. Team that went from Golden State six games. But then you also talk about how, you know, he, first of all, he might be the best player in the game right now. Not, not you, you were saying a, a top number two. Uh, he is certainly the best two-way player in the game, but might be the best overall player in the game. But even then, if, you, if he stays in Toronto, the Kawhi and Dine thing, he's not going to be going to the, the local diner, man. He, he's going to, to Nick and Steph's and, and, uh, and, and, you know, steakhouses who are not on that plan. But uh, even if he stays in Toronto, like you said, he's got to wait another year of his decreasing ability to stay healthy before he can get somebody, speculate to get somebody. But then you went again and said, Toronto isn't going to get any free agents. So even when they clear the room, there's nobody gunning to go and play in Toronto, in part because of their taxes, but also in part because they're not exactly the destination for a lot of free agents. So if he stays there, in two years when he finally does get rid of Gasol, and and um and Kyra, uh, Kyle Lowry, nobody's going to go there. So he's left alone. Whereas he gets the ability to have an, a, a person plays in LA, gets as much money because you can do the same option. Just ask KD, who has one of the best contracts in the league, or you know, and he did the exact same thing that you're talking about when he went from Oklahoma to uh, to Golden State, put the little out clause after a couple of years, signed for the bigger deal. Yada, yada, yada. So he's not leaving that much money on the table. He left his, as you mentioned, he left his money on the table when he decided to leave uh, leave uh, the Spurs. He still has bird rights, um, so they can give him, I think it's like some money, but not as much money as, as, as San Antonio would have been able to. So I, I don't understand. It seems like you said all the things to lead you to the conclusion that he was better off with the Clippers and then came to the conclusion that he should stay with Toronto. The Clippers aren't that good. Yeah, hooray. They gave the Warriors six games. The Clippers have not shown it. They haven't even made the Western Conference Finals in their entire history. I'm not relying on their ability to attract free agents or get other high-end role players for Kawhi to make deep playoff runs with the Clippers. It's not happening. Toronto, yeah, they haven't won anything, but he can make the most money with Toronto. And also but in literally LA, you might, just he, said he you actually, literally just said he might you just actually said, have to talk you said in that LA, which he doesn't have to do in Toronto. I just think Toronto and South actually think San Antonio <laughs> was the best fit for him. But now he's in Toronto. That's also a good fit for him. I don't think the Clippers are a good fit for him. And I don't think just because he plays for the Clippers that the Clippers all of a sudden are a championship contender. I just don't buy Who it. Who says that? So who says that? And there's going to be expectations for him if he plays for the Clippers and he's just not going to be able to meet them. So the best place for him to me is Toronto. But who knows? We'll see what happens. (laughs) Okay. I think you uh, you get overall less less pressure in Toronto. They already not really. They went to the finals last year. You're you're holding all of the hopes of the entire country. No, you're not. It's Toronto. They don't care. No. Yeah, they're just becoming a basketball city. You have to look at the fans. They're happy with deep playoff runs. That's all. You don't got to. All you have to do, you have to watch watch the media right now. Having just been in Minnesota, which is actually kind of we get to see some Canadian news. It is 
feverish right now. Now, hockey hockey playoff uh, finals are going on right now, and for whatever reason, they're still, I think, the number two story is the NBA finals. Right. Those fans are coming out in droves. He's he is you know he's going to have a lot of pressure and you've got Drake's idiocy uh, addict and then the you know all that kind of stuff. I don't. I mean, the Clippers were always going to be the number two team in in Los Angeles. Yes, he would have to talk, but he has a chance at winning where he has no chance of building any type of a long term uh, team with Toronto for a number of reasons. Like I said, they have a puncher's chance this time around. You know, the, the tarot cards are, are certainly coming out in their favor. But it just seems to me when you say, hey, they're both just a bunch of role players and Kawhi is the difference. We'll take the role players that are good enough to get uh, get a team to six games with the with the defending champions, as opposed to the role players who have looked like garbage. I mean, they were literally the Clippers. They did never made it to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, before. Yes, they have. They made it one time. Yes, they did. They made it one time a couple few years ago. They made the Eastern Conference Finals. This is their second time in the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought it was last year. No, no, it was, uh, no. Year, last a couple year, years ago. Last year it was. Uh, yeah, they made it. The Clippers Boston. have never, ever, ever made it. And remember, Toronto wasn't. History does team. not dictate the future, my friend. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if you, so you would have said a couple of years ago, then Kawhi shouldn't go there because they've never done anything before. But yet now, because they've done it once before and they're doing it now with a weaker team, he should spend the rest of his life there. In a weaker conference. Hey, that's so. not what I. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's the Clippers. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, you really? have more belief. Hey, in them I hate I the Clippers that's more fine. than anyone. I just, I, 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 business does not get dictated by the past. If you make your, if you make your business decisions going future, going forward, based on things that have happened on the past, you will always lose. Okay. Well, I guess he'll be a winner with the Clippers, though he won't. But okay. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be a win or not, but business decisions. I'm interested to see. I think uh, with. AD becoming a free agent too, and wanting to be in LA has a house out there. If they could get him that next year, and Kawhi, with the Clips, that could actually be kind of crazy. But that's like oh, hella oh, far out. Oh, real quick, the reason the reason why the Lakers are third for Kawhi is because that's the free agent of all free agents that Genie wants. So Genie's going to go all out to try to get Kawhi any way possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's the person that she wants on her team. Got she it. wants Kawhi. They're <laughs> also third for KD. And so I really, oh. yeah. Oh, I, I have him fourth for KD in my in my own personal mind. Who makes this? But uh, they they I have, have him, him they have him be, they have him ahead of Brooklyn and after New York, which I think it's um, Knicks, Golden State, Brooklyn, Lakers. I wouldn't even have Lakers in mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to help LeBron win more titles. That's just not happening. Yeah. Mm. All right. Cool. So that's your. I bet. I put it on the don't pass line. That's for sure. <laughs> it's the NBA. Uh, all right, little NBA, little uh, little spicy NBA chat right here. I like it. So now we're talking about some NFL action. Um, Roger Goodell's talking about he he thinks the preseason should be less games. I saw a headline, but I didn't read the story. Uh, Brian, I think it sounds like you have the most knowledge on this right now. I'm not saying that you don't, Coop. I just heard Brian bring it up. No, real talk. Yeah, so he does. I don't. I don't know about it. <clears throat> let me know, like, kind of, so, guess yeah. the background, and then we'll Goodell, go from there. Goodell was asked. Actually, had a charity tournament for Jim Kelly. You know, what do you think about preseason? He says, "I think we need less games. I don't think we need four games." And that was really the comment that kind of set off the conversation. Uh, what it has turned into is speculation on whether or not they're going to reduce the preseason to two games and leave the regular season as is, 
or if they are going to use this as a foray into two preseason games, 18 regular season games, which there's been talk about. Um, so, you know, there's, that's, that's kind of the conversation where I come on it is the darn sure don't need, uh, regular, the, the, the preseason games, what they need to do and what they should have done is accepted either the AFL or one of these other teams, one of the, one of these other minor leagues so that these guys that they need to see play in, in serious environments could play because a preseason game, especially the fourth preseason game is no different and probably less of uh, less useful than the AFL teams and it, watching them play in those environments. Now, if you want them running your playbook, that's fine. Do the same thing that the NBA has done, create a G league for the AFL teams, associate one with the other and make sure that the coach in the AFL or now defunct AFL, the, the, the lower league does the same thing that gets you the same, gets you the same place. So we don't need, um, as many preseason games, we just the, the league needs to figure out a better way to utilize that time, that energy, that money, those resources. And then what those two preseason games should be is the walkthroughs to make sure for these the people who are actually going to start playing to get ready and get on and before you go into the regular season because they only play right, they only play two real games, they don't play the first one. And they don't play the fourth one. So they play, you know, half in the second one, and then they play a half in one drive in the in the third one. And then the the fourth one is just for all the guys who are gonna get cut um to see who's gonna make a practice team. And they can do that without uh making people pay for it. Whether or not they go to an 18 team season, an 18 game season, uh I, I personally don't think that should happen. I think that if the NFL ever does decide to make it have to do that, they're going to be a laughing stock because it's absolutely going to prove that they don't give a care in the world about player safety and player health. Um, you know, if anything, what you should do is, is give two bye weeks. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to take those two extra weeks given, give each team two bye weeks throughout the season so that you have healthier players, um, better, better play going down the stretch. Uh, and, and that would be much more interesting to me than, than adding two more games. Uh, that's just how I see it. Jason. Uh, let's see. I agree with you. On, uh, first of all, I don't even watch preseason. I just can't because different coaches and teams do different things at preseason. Some teams, it just means a lot more than others. Some people just want to stay healthy and just toss guys out there to do whatever. And maybe one might make the team or something. But I agree with you in that fourth preseason game. There is no reason in the world to watch that game. The guys playing that game are already going to get cut as soon as that game is over. And the most likely, you know, if somebody does make the team, there's going to be a special teams, you know, person or whatever. And starters don't play in the fourth preseason game. So I agree with you on that. As far as um, what Goodell said, um, you know, I can't see I just personally can't see the owners giving up that two game revenue. So I think if they went to two preseason games, they would try to go to 18 regular season games like you. I'm not for it. Um, just from conversations, I, of course, you know, I, I didn't play college or NFL football, but from conversations I have from people who have played in NFL, I mean, 16 games, you're hurting. You know, so to make it 18, it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. And most of these players don't like the Thursday games um, as well, which is, you know, almost ridiculous, too. Um, they front it by saying, you know, you get all these days off, what, 10 days or whatever. But if you play a game on Sunday, and then, you you know, you got rest on Monday, practice on Tuesday, travel on Wednesday, play again on Thursday. It takes a toll on your body. So I think if the preseason games get reduced, I think games are going to be added somewhere somewhere else because I just can't see the way the NFL owners operate. I can't see them giving up that revenue. 
And um, so, what's up? Go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm good because uh, you you have more like you have more knowledge on this so, than I do. This is the first let, time I've heard it. Let me let me float this idea by you on a way to do both. Um, and I'm you're not saying that anyone else has said this. This is just me kind of spitballing while I was listening to you. So if they go to two bye weeks, guarantee that the bye week, whoever plays on the Thursday matchup is done after a bye week. So now you've got a week and a half going into it and a week and a half going out of the Thursday game. The Thursday game, they're never going to get rid of that. It generates too much revenue. But now it becomes... Uh, a, a double bye week, right? A, a double, you get not a double bye week, but you see what I'm saying. You get, you get 10 days running up to it and you get 10 days running away from it. Right. So right. you, you get right because you have the bye week that would solve some of that problem. Cause yeah, I think teams would start looking forward to Thursday games so that they would get that, that spread. And, you know, overall you're, everyone's healthier cause they get the two bye weeks as for the increased revenue. I think if I'm an, if I'm if I'm a owner of a seat, right? So now you have PSLs. I've already paid my ten thousand dollars. There's no way I'm getting out of out of my ticket, right? My seat. And if you come to me, and I think if you look at the average ticket prices, I, I think it's in like the seventy five dollar range. But let's just do a nice round hundred well, bucks. Well, it definitely varies for per stadium. You know, no, I get you know it. That, yeah, let's just do a nice. Like I said, let's just do a nice round hundred bucks. So that's the the Cleveland mixed with the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> sorry, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Right uh, now they're probably expensive, but their season tickets are probably still right cheap. But anyways, so hundred bucks. If you take that cost of that ticket let's call it 200 bucks and get rid of two season games and tack on $15, maybe 17 and a quarter or some crap like that to each of the other ones, which, which fan who doesn't actually go to the preseason game, right? Doesn't do anything to do with it. Which fan isn't willing to pay $17 more for their regular season game tickets to get rid of the two useless preseason games and, you know, have their team ultimately in a better place health-wise and so on and so forth. It, you know, it's not – I get that they're not – the owners aren't going to want to give uh, change the revenue. and But I do think that ultimately, you know, prices are going to continue to go up. They go up every single year. There's a way to merge that increase with the reduction of the, the games so that they're not losing their ticket revenue. Um, and – Anybody who's we I, we all went to a preseason game uh, last year. Anyone who knows knows you you literally could care less about the game. I, I left in the middle of mine uh, and went back to the bar that we went to before we went to it. So we went to the bar, did our eating, did our drinking. So it wasn't like they were getting a lot of money off me there. I think I bought a beer or two while I was in the stadium. And then bounced by halftime and went back and do it. And that's pretty much what happens for anyone. So the, I think if you take that revenue and, and, uh, and just increase the cost of a ticket by 15, 17 bucks, whatever it is, over the course of the regular season, I, if I were a, a season ticket holder, would be willing to do that for the, all the other improvements. What, what do you think about that idea? Uh, that's a good idea. Um, but like, and, and like you said, it's all going to come down to money. If the owners can make up that money on the, um, some way. I'm sure they'll be there for any proposal, you know, that's on the right. table. Um, 
I, I like the idea. Of course, if I'm a fan, I definitely wouldn't want to play any preseason game. I would definitely pay a little extra for um for a regular season game. But in your plan, though, is that 16 or 18 game season? Is that 16? No, leaving at 16. 16. Okay. You, you get okay. rid of yeah. Get rid of two preseason games. Got you. Create two buys, which means that there's another week of week off. There's right. another week off because you're losing two weeks early, but you're giving everybody one more bye week, so you still have that extra week. You get you you know work it out so that you have the uh, the Thursday games. People don't hate them as much because you sandwich it between after a buy and, and before they get 10 days. Right. So that, you know, all the different things that helps in my, my estimation, someone can tell me if I'm where I'm wrong, that helps player health and safety, right? It creates the extra buy week. It gives them the weeks, the weeks between the Thursday games. Um, it re- leaves the revenue ticket revenue approximately the same with little, little, little drop off there. Um, not stadium revenue, but uh, most of that is is in consigned anyway. And then the TV money stays the same because no one pay, they don't pay TV. The TV contract doesn't actually include, I believe, the the preseason games because they play yeah. them all weird networks. Yeah, it's it only for the regular season games, right? Right. So they didn't they, they they keep all their TV money. You give a better product, and you get rid of the useless games. And then I also think that if they were to do something like that. Um, you know, the Rich McKay backed, uh, who's the head of the competition committee. We're going to talk about him in a minute. The Rich McKay backed AFL would have survived because it was quality football. Again, we talked about this a while back. You know, you really were watching the guys who were playing in the fourth preseason game play organized football as opposed to, you know, pickup game football, which is what they end up doing in this, this fourth, the fourth game of the preseason. That's, I don't know. There's, there's, there, there might be a flaw that I don't see in it, and that's fine, but. Um, it just seems to me like if they go do an 18 game season, they just destroy their credibility with, with the public, with the players, um, with all the governing bodies that are waiting for an opportunity to go in and start regulating them. They just, they put themselves in a bad spot. I like the idea of it actually. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, that's interesting. I'm trying to think of, so as far as the quote unquote player evaluation in a game that doesn't matter to a degree, like what they do for the preseason, you just get two games, but they're, I guess you just, they're just the warmups for the starters, right? So you have, you know, you actually use those as dress rehearsals, maybe you only play them a half or whatever, but it's the middle two games, right? You get rid of the first one and you get rid of the fourth one. I'm not talking about for timings per second. I'm just talking about from a usefulness perspective. Okay. Nobody plays the first game, right? The first preseason game. They might go out there and do one series, half of a drive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they know, and they don't play at all. They don't even suit up for the fourth one. So you just play those two, right? Where you, it's actual usefulness and you know, you, you give them the opportunity and you just use one of these junior leagues mm. who they want to be there. The XFL, it's uh, starting up real soon. Yeah. Um, that one's a little hokey, but the XFL, <laughs> um, the AFL, I thought was a decent product. The XFL, you know, McMahon, you know, you're going to see somebody do a, a, a whatever, the, whatever, the whatever the wrestling move of the week is, yeah. you know, halfway through the series. I don't know. Have uh he she hate me on the back of their jersey or whatever. she hate me he, he yeah. hate me uh yeah <laughs> anyways not for the xfl but the fo was a decent product yeah that's interesting i like that idea because you tie in that you still get the football it makes that other league stronger the afl or whatever because yeah. you watch those games those games matter and they can still sign those guys so you can watch and have a, a your professional <laughs> scout keep track of well, those games me- well, remember a lot of those guys in AFL weren't NFL roster. They just got cut. I mean, I saw, I remember yeah. like five, saw five or six names that used to be with the 49ers. So 
Yeah, well, but, but and you got, the reason why the league fell apart was because the the NFL wouldn't allow for the AFL players to continue finish the season mm-hmm. and go not go to the camp. So they had to be there for the camps. Oh, yep. So yep. what they what they needed to do in part, I mean, they had some financial troubles, yeah, but yeah, part yeah. of it was they couldn't get the NFL to help them out, right? They couldn't give them a hand. So what they need to do, remember NFL Europe? Yeah, when they had NFL Europe or something. Yeah, yeah, when they had NFL Europe, it created a wraparound season for those tweener football players. But they actually had what they would, you know, they'd finish the football season. I think they got about three, four weeks. Then they had to get their butt over to NFL Europe and report to their camps. They played with their, I think they only did like two weeks of camps before they started their season. They finished their their season, um, and then they started camps in the NFL if they were able to make one. Right? You can you can find a way to make that work where you can spread it all out, right? I mean, you're only playing football, NFL football, for whatever you want to call it, 18 weeks. So, you know, with camps and everything else, you're talking about, what, five to six months of your year. Um, There's enough room to fit in eight games. What was the AFL? Was it eight games or ten games? A ten-game season of minor league football, uh, in between for those people who really want to try and use it as a springboard to get on an NFL roster. I just think there's a, I think there's a way to work it out if everybody decided that they wanted to work it out. Um, and, and I, quite honestly, you know, with Rich McKay's uh, connections to the league, if he wasn't able to do it with the AFL, I just don't see how it can be done by anyone. But, yeah, that's, you know, that's hope springs eternal. That's interesting. I like the I like the idea of it. All right. Cool. All right. So now let's talk about that Hail Mary rule. Um, Coop, do you want to start or let me do that one too? Uh, yeah, I'll start on this one. Um, so the Hail Mary rule uh, that's being proposed is that the pass interference rule from the Saints crying. Of course, there have been bad pay, pay, uh, pass interference rules over the years in football, but since the Saints cried about it so much that they're now, it's now a pass, a pass interference is going to be uh, reviewed and uh, Rich McKay. Uh, doesn't want it to apply to Hail Marys. And uh, I agree. Uh, there's called situational football, just like there's situational basketball. There's certain fouls that happen in the first quarter of a basketball game that aren't called during the fourth quarter during a tight game. Uh, I don't believe that a team who hasn't played, most likely hasn't played well the entire game, now has the ball at their own 35 or 40 yard line and can get a pass interference call on a Hail Mary when there's been pass interferences on every Hail Mary in college and in the NFL for all of the past 60 years where all of a sudden now they're going to call it, give the team the ball on the one-yard line so they can run it in. I don't think that's right. Um, I agree with Rich McKay. Uh, it doesn't need to apply. And I know Tony Dungy opposes that. He thinks it should be called every single time. And um, no matter if it's in the first quarter, first, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, Hail Mary, whatever, and life isn't like that, it's situational, and so is sports. It's situational. There's just certain things that are called during certain times of the game that aren't called late in the games. You can't just give a team a ball at the one-yard line on a pass interference, Hail Mary. You just can't do it. Bree, what you think? Uh, I think that Tony Dungy's right when he said that, in his words, it's ridiculous to have different standards for any type of uh, a, a difference in play. So you know, let's just look at the situation. First of all, there's an assumption in everything that you were saying that they're going to get a pass interference call every single time. As it stands currently, you can call pass interference on a Hail Mary. They just don't. It's not because... It, 
There's a rule that says that they can't. They just allow for a little bit more contact. And that's no different than what you as a ref do in certain points in time. That's what refs do in basketball when it comes to the playoffs. You're allowed to be a little bit more physical. You, you call a little bit less. You let, you, let them, you let them just make decisions. And that happens a little bit to the same extent in football. Very, very rarely do you have somebody who calls a pass interference, even though there's always a ref standing right there at the goal line watching the play. There's always lots of hand jockeying. You don't need a replay to know that there's probably a pass interference call there if you wanted one. And making it so that it's uh, a a uh, um, a a reviewable event doesn't change any of that. All it does is allow for the team to go, okay, this was egregious, right? So in the New Orleans, because as you said, New Orleans was crying, um, in the New Orleans game, it was very clear that there was a pass interference. And Agreed. They, just, and they yep. just missed it. And they just missed it. It's more for that type of situation. Even in a pass in, in, a, in a Hail Mary situation, if you run down there and Gronkowski decides that instead of going to try and tap the ball and, and bumping into the guy, which is technically pass interference, but nobody calls and everybody sees, he decides that he's just going to go and level the other player, right? Just run them through because there's no pass interference allowed on that call because that's the rule. Then you've now ruined the opportunity for that play to be even legitimate, right? So I'm not saying that because you know it, it, it's reviewable that they should start calling one every time they see it. They're not going to do that. They're not going to call like we like to call it the ticky tack shit, right? You're not, you're not going to call that. Everyone sees that right now. Reviewing it isn't going to change their perception that that's not enough to garner a pass interference call. What it does do is make it so that when somebody decides not even to try and play the ball, right, and just go and take out the guys, because I could guarantee you whoever the, my, my defensive lineman is going to be standing in the end zone when the ball gets hiked, and the minute the wide receivers come over there, if I can't get a pass interference, they're getting knocked down. I right? thought it okay. I thought it said it's, oh, they're just opening. Excuse me, they're just opening it up for review, though. So my thought process would be: if you throw it, like if I'm the offensive team, I'm reviewing it every time. Oh, absolutely! Right. Look, you that know what I mean. May be the strategy that may. Well, here's but what will happen, right? So there, what the, the 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 new rule is that you can have anything that you want, any any play you want reviewed for whatever, right? So that's the thing. So now you can do that. It may be the strategy for some coaches to save, which save one of those just in case they have a Hail Mary play at the end of the game. That seems unlikely. Mm -hmm. They don't even, you know, most coaches don't even save them all the way through the second half. They have to have one, right? Got you. I see even what you're the, and then even if they uh, go to the booth review, uh, which if it goes to booth review, the, the, all I'm saying is, is even if they review it, even if they go back and they look at it, they're not going to see something most times that's too different than what they're seeing. Because they have a guy who's always right there. And he sees the, okay. the jockeying and the pushing yeah. and the bumping. And, and he sees the right. guy go for the ball and jump over him a little bit like that. But they don't think that that warrants a pass interference. That's not going to change. Okay. How they okay, read so the that's pass my interference thing. rule. How they read mm -hmm. the pass interference rule isn't going is uh, is to change because they can look at it again. Because they saw it okay, the first time, they saw it the second time. Go on. Okay, because that's my thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe if you guys play football, and I play football, and I've seen all these football games, if you always look on a Hail Mary. Hell yeah. Whenever, whenever somebody is about to jump for the ball, they slightly push the person in the back behind in front of, of them. Of course. To try to get some leverage. If they review that, that's technically a pass interference. 
That's but technically. It, wait, but the, you don't need. You know that, right? You, you know that. I know that. Glenn knows that. Everybody who's listening to us, who watches, who's watched any type of football, including the rest who are currently out there, know that that happens. That is just the way you play a hail mary. You right. always give that a little extra nudge. But they, if you review it, it but they, they see it anyway. It's not the review doesn't change what they saw. They saw that before. They, it's not like you're showing them something that's new. You're you're showing so them. You're the talking about egregious. You're talking about stuff that's egregious. I, I well, I saying. think that the I think what happens. I think what what actually happens is that only the egregious things that they miss, right, actually get called out. Because okay, if I, I, I'm, I'm the ref. If I'm the ref, okay. and I'm on the I'm on the goal line, and I'm looking at the crowd, and you know, let's I'm using Calvin Johnson because he had a couple of these instances, and he gets jumped up, and someone gives him a little nudge, and 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 then he goes down. Uh, he, he he misses the catch. I'm probably going to go. Yeah, man, that's 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 a hail mary play. The ball's up in the air. It's both guys' ball. I'm not calling that a pass interference. If I review that, if someone throws the flag and says, "Man, look at that again." I'm going to look at it. I'm going to say, "Look, I just saw the exact same thing that I saw the first time." In my <laughs> mind, I decided at that point in time it wasn't a pass interference. You didn't change my mind. I now, what you could saying. do to change my mind is while while I'm looking at for the the uh calvin johnson and the ball barely goes through his fingertips because he got a little bit of a nudge and while i'm staring at that going nope that's not pass interference what i didn't see is that there was another receiver who was right behind him who had an opportunity to that ball that the defensive lineman decided to level so he wasn't even part of that play right that's pi yeah. Yeah. and you're gonna miss that because you're just you're, you're looking at the play you're looking at calvin johnson going up it's gonna go through his fingertips so you're not gonna change my mind on that but what you might miss is that in the back of the play, and this has happened, right, where there's focus has always been on the OBJ, the Cal. And I'm just using the big name guys because that's where the that's where all the look goes. You know, uh, Gronkowski. Everyone looks at the big guy. You know, there's a guy in the back. How often do you see these hail marys where the guy in the back is the one who gets it? He gets the tip. He gets the whatever, right? And if he the, those guys get taken out, and the other guy just gets nudged. That's the egregious miss, right? That's the, and that's what they could possibly catch up. But you're not going to convince a ref, I, I, as as I speak to a ref, I'm speaking to you, right? If, if you're not going, <laughs> I'm not going to change your mind if you don't think that that little nudge is in the spirit of pass interference. Just because I make you look at it 15 times, you're not going to come back after the 15th time and go, all right, you made me look at it. Now all of a yeah. sudden, I believe that the little nudge is pass interference. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Well, I hope not. Yeah, I'm wondering about if you're reviewing it too, though. Like you get to review the entirety of the play because what you said. So that would mean if there was another penalty of some other kind, they do have that ability, right? So, and that that's for any review, by the way. It has always been that. So you know, if if you say review for pass interference, and while they do it, they see that the guy stepped out of bounds when he was running down the field before he got into the end zone and caught and 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 missed the thing. They're like, hey. It's not PI. You're out of bounds. You're out of bounds. Right. And you're an eligible yeah. receiver. You know, right. or you know, hey, you know, there's a we we the coach throws a flag and says, "Man, go review the the PI over there." And they look at it and it's like, "Oh, there's a false start. The offensive lineman moved. Plays dead. Game over." So oh, wow. that is all all reviewable too. Okay. But I, I like I said, you know, so that there's a, a little bit of a risk. But I think two things. One, I just don't think it changes the spirit of what's pass interference. Right? We all know there's bumping and nudging that's going to go on in the end zone. And and the other part is, um, the other the other the other part of it is is that I I just don't think that the, that people are going to save 
you know, you're not going to save if, if if the play at three minutes needs a review. You're not saving that review just in case maybe there's a PI so you can chuck one in there. I mean, yeah. let's let's guess that they, they they go with that rule and make it reviewable. What three four times over the course of a season? So you know, yeah. all of this. And, and it won't be the first time that they've made a rule and adjusted it down the line. So I, I would just let it play out. If we talked about it more than it actually happens, I think this is good. Yeah. Because that's, that's an interesting idea. So I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I'm interested to see what yeah. they decide. The league, it's weird to me how the NFL does that, like so much offseason stuff. I mean, and it's it's smart how they do it. And they make it the big stories now. There's a lot of stuff in the offseason so that you yeah. follow it all year. And free agency and these rule changes and in the last few years team switching locations and all this it's just it's interesting how the, the nfl is has transitioned to that nba doesn't move teams they don't really change rules a whole whole lot but it's all about free agency so it's just yeah. interesting how teams yeah but the nfl has mastered marketing 20 uh, yeah. 365 days right um yeah they the stay NBA in the news. is a close they do. second yeah the, yeah the nba is a close second uh, and every sport's trying it, right? You've watched golf now go to the wraparound season. Um, they just did that a few years back. I mean, they used to have three or four months off. Now you get finished with the with the the, um, the championship, and two weeks later you have the fries open up north in in California. Um, so every sport is trying to figure. Tennis did it years ago, um, you know, trying to figure out how to stay relevant. And then there's other sports, baseball, where it it basically disappears. Yep. Until until about two weeks from now, but <laughs> when, yeah, the, no, when the NBA is over, <laughs> that's real. That's yeah, real. Um, yeah, there is a, a season where there's no sports uh, part of the calendar where there's no sports with baseball. But yeah, also the NFL. I like the fact that they um, that they move the draft. Uh, to these cities that nobody cares about, like Nashville yeah. was this year. Uh, <laughs> next year, I think it's going to be in Cleveland. It's going to be so, in Vegas, know, these, though. They don't care about that. Uh, Vegas is going to be live, but yeah, I think next year it's in that. Cleveland. And it's good to have it in those cities because, you know, we don't care about those cities. We no. most likely are not going to visit these cities. And then uh, these cities feel like they matter. I think it's Vegas next good. year, actually. So, yeah, and the draft used to be one day. Now it's three days. So the NFL, you know, they're they're pretty good at um at uh, evolving. Um, I think there's – um, I forgot what the saying was, but one sport comes up with it. I think it's the NBA – and then the NFL is the best at marketing, it, and then the Major League Baseball makes the most money out of it, or something like that. It's some saying that goes around, but uh, but yeah, the NFL does a good job at marketing. And NBA actually, they actually love this whole free agency thing because it keeps them in the news. What players going right. where? So Definitely. they love so that. NBA, the NBA leads in marketing dollars. The NFL does the better job of keeping themselves rele- relevant. But part of the reason why the NBA has that advantage is because they don't have helmets on. And so every yeah. single person knows what Kawhi Leonard looks like. He's right. soft-spoken, doesn't like to be in the media, but everybody knows what Kawhi Leonard looks like. Whereas um, Gerald McCoy, who just signed with Carolina Panthers, right. uh, couldn't pick him out of the lineup if he needed to. And, and I actually, and I know who he is, and I know what he does, and and but I couldn't pick him. You know, um, and but also NBA Sue, players look different as well too, though they just look different. NBA players, Dominic Dominic tall, yeah, they just look different. Yeah. But but yeah, without without having your helmet without having a helmet on, they have the advantage of looking a lot more like what you'll see on the court and right. and, and all that. And it's a smaller team, you know, each of them gives interviews after the game, so we're bombarded with right. uh, clips of of Steph and KD and yeah. and Clay and and all that stuff. But when you have twenty four guys who are starting or twenty two guys who are starting, uh, the coaches 
and all the the bench guys uh, team on on for NFL. There's just no way that you're going to be able to do interviews with all of them. And yeah. instead, you get the occasional clip of one guy sitting in front of his locker room giving one soundbite, yep. and those are superstars. Like I could tell you OBJ, I could you know what OBJ looks like, but. You probably couldn't tell who, you know, whoever. If Sterling Shepard, Jarvis Landry, yeah, yeah. oh it's, Jarvis it's, Landry, yeah, you could. And make he, him he's out. a he's yeah. a major player. The guy yeah. almost, you know, was one of the, the top receivers in yardage. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what it looks like. I no. actually can, but I bet you most people couldn't. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> no, I can tell what he looks like if he's standing next to Baker Mayfield and OBJ. But if he's standing <laughs> next to a bunch of guys, yeah, like exactly, that league, might be Jarvis. Yeah, that must be Jarvis yeah. Lynch. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't know. If he was yeah. at the house with us, he'd be like, "Oh, what's up, dog? Just keep moving." <laughs> right, right, right. So what you do? Yeah, you oh, must you be play a, a friend oh, okay. of Glenn's. Okay, yeah. No, it's, it's funny you mentioned Sue because I seen him in Vegas. We were out there uh, a while back for one of those like early McGregor fights, and that's like one of the biggest humans I've ever seen. That boy, oh, yeah, he's a hella big. big. That was, it was it was ridiculous how big this dude was like towering over all these people. You saw him from hell afar in the casino. Crazy. They got these four hundred uh, four hundred pound offensive linemen dunking now. These guys are just yeah, big, man. That's that, crazy. Stuff. Athleticism is crazy. Shout out to kind of yeah. the training staff and and all the work they do. Um, all right, cool. So pretty good show, I think. Um, like we said, June third, two thousand nineteen. Um, Right now, we're going to get down to our kind of end of the show. We call it, I call it a minute to win it. It's just a, we say like a rant, but it's really just a couple of, a minute or two of um, screen time, if you will, just a chance to say whatever's, whatever's on your mind, whether it's sports or not. So um, with today's, actually, I think I'm going to start on this one. I don't, uh, first quick shout out to Zion Williamson, who's actually one of his, uh, part of his agent team is actually a black woman as well. I spoke of Kenyon Williams a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month or so ago. Uh, during the NFL draft, but Zion's also uh, part of his management team is a black woman. So just shout out to women in sports. Uh, my sh- other kind of not rant, but my attention right now is just going to go to Antonio Brown and his workouts. Um, I, I didn't follow Antonio Brown before, you know, knew he was cool and all that. But once he came to my team, I started following him. And I heard Gruden saying how, you know, he's never seen anybody work out like this since Jerry Rice, blah, blah. Now, he, Antonio's smart because he posts it all. But literally, I've never seen anybody work out like this. This fool is insane with like one, like how he's eating and all that. But like the weight he's lifting, uh, running, uh, running routes, um, all the different like training exercise he's doing. Like the first, I think within a day or so of being signed, he was already throwing with car and he was at the uh, Raiders facility lifting weights with two short songs playing in the background. And I've just seen him like lifting and working out constantly. So it just definitely showed me and kind of spoke to his greatness. And literally, when I've been in the gym recently, I'm not nowhere near no Antonio Brown. So, you know, any of the homies hear this, I don't need the clowns. I'm just saying, I'll be on the treadmill. Like, man, you cannot. You've only been running two minutes. Like, what are you doing? Antonio Brown would have ran for two hours. So, dude was just inspiring. I never really seen anybody work out like that. So, hopefully it pays off on the football field. Um, and then I'll toss, check, it, toss it to y'all. Check out some clips of James Harrison. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... For sure. But, hey, um, you said he was bumping too short. Was he playing Freaky Tales? Nah, it was it was some other <laughs> short diet, and and, oh, okay. and it wasn't his. It was just in the facility because he's he's a, a South boy. But yeah, over to y'all. Um, I'll go next. So mine is a little lighthearted. I just want to say shout out and congratulations. So I am not a huge baseball fan. I go to a couple games a year. I only watch towards the end of the season. That's usually because there's not a lot of games on um, at the at the end of the baseball season, beginning of the football season. So I can watch uh, a, a game here and a game there. 
But right now, and for the last week or so, the two teams that I root for are the two best teams in baseball statistically, and that's the Minnesota Twins, uh, who I've always been a fan of, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, who I have adopted um, over the decades that I've been in Los Angeles. And so right now, you have today, as we speak, it's it's forty two nineteen for the Dodgers and forty and eighteen for the Twins. They're one and two. Uh, two three days ago, it was uh, the Twins, then the Dodgers, but then the Dodgers won a couple. But both of them are on great streaks, right? The Dodgers just play, played a little bit more. Ones the Dodgers have won six games in a row. The Twins have run won three games in a row. Um, combine them with the Astros and the Yankees, and you have the clear the, the four clear leaders in, in baseball. So, you know, kind of a cool moment when I was looking at the phone a, a couple weeks ago and started tracking this uh, and started waiting for the moment because for a while the Twins were number one and the Dodgers were third or fourth. And uh, at one point in time, the Astros were one and then the Dodgers, uh, the Twins were second and the Dodgers were third. But right now, and for the last three days, uh, it's been one, two Twins, Dodgers and in either order. And, and that's pretty cool. So shout out to them. Uh, like I said, I don't watch baseball often um i I track it but uh don't watch it and this is pretty exciting i actually went to try and see if the twins and dodgers even played each other this year they don't so i'm not gonna be able to see that game maybe i'll have to go up and uh steal uh steal a buddy and and go check out a a twins game when they get up to uh oakland or uh uh, well it'd be oakland come through through. yeah um Shouts out. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Minnesota yeah. Twins. Thanks for shouting out that, uh, Brian, because my brother-in-law is the head scout of the Minnesota Twins, so good looking out on that. Um, nice. My uh, rant, well, I wouldn't say rant. It's just a term that I kind of hate to hear, and it's called super teams. I kind of hate that because there have been so-called super teams forever. It's, it's not a new thing. Uh, Lakers with Magic Kareem Worthy, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, and Bob McAdoo and Michael Thompson coming off the bench. That's a super team. Bird, McHale, Parrish, Dennis Johnson, and Bill Walton coming off the bench. That's a super team. Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Kukoc, who was the best European in the league at the time. Steve Kerr, who was a deadly three-point shooter, and Phil Jackson as a coach. That's a super team. The problem, people romanticize and glorify these teams, which are quote-unquote super teams. Um, But these were all organization led super teams. But this is what you're supposed to do if you're an organization supposed to accumulate talent. And that's what these organizations did when coaches like Larry Brown constantly breaks contracts and coaches when other coaches find better jobs and leave the team high and dry. Nobody has a problem with it. Or when owners move teams like when the Seattle Supersonics bounce to Oklahoma City, which. I don't personally don't like, even though I'm not a fan of either. Nobody has a problem with that either. But when somebody, when a player takes control of their career, like a Durant or LeBron, on what they should do, like play with other talented people or with their friends, because their GM, for whatever reason, or the owner, or whatever reason that they play for, can't, you know, get them better players, then all of a sudden people have a problem with it. And they, you know, they call, they're trying to what, make a super team. Which leads me to believe that people don't have a problem with super teams and dynasties like Alabama football and Duke basketball or any other pro organization when they're led by, you know, the coach or they're led by the owner or the GM or whatever. They only have a problem when it's player generated super teams. That's my whole thing. 
That's why I hate the word super teams. They've been around forever. Organizations have been doing it forever. That's what they're trying to do. But when players try to do it, it's all of a sudden it's a problem. I personally, I like it. I like the fact that LeBron bounced to Cleveland to Miami because it's Cleveland. And I'm happy that Durant <laughs> left Westbrook to go to the Warriors because he wanted to play with people who actually, you know, pass the ball. That's what you're supposed to do. You, you're always support, most of the time, support the athlete. Take control of your career. You have a limited time to make money, limited time to, uh, to win rings and championships. I'm just I'm happy for both of those guys. And I wish more players would do it as well. Take control of their career. That's all. Interesting. Word up. I like it. All right. Uh, well, that's that's our show for today. June 3rd, 2019, as I said, um, Sports Counterpoints podcast. We're going to sign off. Fellas, any parting words? Nah, man, it's all good. I'm glad we were able to get a quick one in. Yeah, most, yep. most okay. definitely. Uh, love y'all, man. Thanks, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Uh, live from Cinderella Studios. It's the Sports Counterpoints podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace.